So Whisper Lodge, it came from this funny place of strength. I was feeling pretty strong and capable after Houseworld just flourished in so short of a time. It, it, it went from me not creating in that genre to me like being reviewed by the lead theater critic of the New York Times. I think I'm attracted to a certain emotional gravity. Houseworld was a premise that I think we've become very familiar with over the years in immersive theater. You enter a dream on your own, you traverse through this journey and you meet different characters intended to represent different faces of the psyche. And so there was just three of us in this 25 room mansion. We were slowly getting evicted. I was in one of those low lows, frustrated, wasn't sure if I wanted a tour anymore. Ended up seeing sleep no more. Started thinking of my house in that way. And I decided to on a whim, just stage this performance art house that became Houseworld. Hi, I'm Nathaniel Skye, the host of the Immersion Nation podcast. Here, the masters of immersive experience create and conjure, muse and imagine the cultural revolution that is unfolding before us. That is immersive entertainment. Welcome. The word soundscape seems to get lobbed around haphazardly, kind of like a half-deflated football picked up out of a sense of obligation around the Thanksgiving season. However, the idea of a soundscape seems to have a bit more vigor when applied more literally to an immersive experience, especially when the lens, or maybe more appropriately, the voicing of an immersive experience, the original impetus comes from a musician, someone whose first artistic language is not visual. Andrew Hoffner, the prolific and determinedly resourceful creator of Houseworld, Bottom of the Ocean, Waves, and co-creator of Whisper Lodge, approaches immersive experience design in exactly this way. Sound and music are not just another layer in Andrew's experience composition, but rather are the core, the engine that overtly drives much of what he creates. Right now, Andrew Hoffner is hard at work in his Brooklyn creative space, Gymnopedia, and preparing for the next iteration of the show, Bottom of the Ocean, in December. More immediately, he joins us to discuss his path into and through the world of immersion. Andrew, welcome to the show. Sky, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Thank you for coming on. To start out with, as, as we do, uh, I have to ask if you have a favorite fictional or fantasy world of some variety um, that you would want to spend some time in. Is there anything that comes to mind immediately? Yes. Uh, we did. You sent me this question beforehand. And at first I was at a loss, you know, because I'm not sure if I long to live in Star Wars or long to live in Harry Potter or something like that. But then I realized what my fantasy is. And my fantasy is... Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Ha, yes. <laughs> and it's not so much, uh, I found that movie sort of going backwards um, because what my fantasy actually is, is time travel. I'd love to be able to travel throughout this planet's time and throughout the different regions of the world, perhaps through uh, a telephone booth. Oh, just, just hypothetically a telephone booth. <laughs> right. Well, uh, you know, the telephone booth is, uh, you know, for it's, it's there. So let's, let's ride it. Most definitely. If it is available, we shall embark. All right. Awesome. Um, so time travel and Bill and Ted's wonderful. Yeah. Um, so we will come back around to that for 
the Make It Immersive segment. Game segment, technically, is what we've been calling it, but it is also more of kind of a brainstorming session slash just kind of having fun playing with the idea of what it might look like to turn that into some kind of immersive world. But yeah, I have, I have some ideas. Wonderful. Um, but before we come back around to that, uh, just to start out with, um, I caught an interview with you in your uh, space, uh, Dimnopedi, where you yep. mentioned um, that some of the early songs you learned as a musician, as a musician, um, were uh, a Shokin farewell out of a Ken Burns documentary and Moonlight Sonata. Um, it's true. So I know that um, on the first account, anyway, that wasn't necessarily your impetus to have learned that, but based on the way that you were kind of describing the way you felt about working with those things, um, working with those pieces that you seem to kind of naturally gravitate to a kind of like emotional dynamic range, um, as, or within artistic mediums. Um, I'm curious, has that informed your path into slash through the world of immersion at all? Uh, I think, yeah, I think the same thing that connects me to Moonlight Sonata informs my choice, my choices uh, when making immersive pieces. I, uh, I think I'm attracted to a certain emotional gravity and drama and maybe a uh, certain sort of like, this is what it's all about, uh, choice. Definitely, definitely. And I feel like that, I, I, I guess it was partially a bit of a leading question because I've, I'm interpreting it as like that's something that seems to or I'm reading from kind of the nature of the experiences that you've created um, thus far, certainly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that um, something that excites me uh, in building the experiences I've done so far is creating the opportunity for peak experiences. Uh, and I think that Moonlight Sonata uh, has that same intention maybe like a peak uh, torment. Moonlight Sonata to me sort of sounds like a quiet storm brewing in the composer and he's sort of um, offering it to you for your own sort of um, quiet storm that climaxes. And, um, and I like that possibility in immersive theater that you can have a catharsis, whether you're dealing with suffering or whether maybe you're um, encountering joy uh, I like those chances. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And even down to the like the psychological theory behind um, peak experiences and how that kind of associates with flow states and various other kind of manifestations of that that way that the human brain can work. I think that immersive experience definitely is uniquely good at creating those kind of environments for people. Definitely. And yeah, the more you describe it yourself, the more it, it sounds like my territory. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so uh, from Whisper Lodge to House World to Bottom of the Ocean and of course more recently Waves, um, you've definitely explored a lot of different parts of the immersive world. Um, potentially uh, to start out with for listeners who might not know, could you summarize uh, kind of what those experiences are? Yeah. 
Houseworld was um, a premise that I think we've become very familiar with over the years in immersive theater is that you enter a dream and um, on your own, you traverse through this journey and you meet different characters. Uh, and uh, they were intended to represent different faces of the psyche. And um, Houseworld was, it had a big range of, of tone. So dark and light, high energy and low energy. And then Whisper Lodge uh, was a much more, um, a much more focused piece. Uh, we were trying to create an embodied live in-person experience of ASMR. So we were trying to take uh, the YouTube uh, subculture of ASMR and put it in a house and have you walk, have the guest walk through it. And uh, now bottom of the ocean uh, is going to be a ritual. You walk through this um, two hour ceremony uh, and sort of um, consider the meaning and pleasure that we might get out of ritual and ceremony, maybe in an age where, where we have less of it or we have less of what like older times thought of as ritual and ceremony. And then waves is um, a weekly sound bath. And um, it's just, it's a more, um, it's I guess the, the most simple of the four events. It's a time for community to gather and listen to ambient noise and music and either meditate or focus or relax and uh, zone out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and your point on ritual there, and thank you for um, explaining uh, kind of a cross-section of your work there. Um, but to your point about the ritual dynamic, I think that that's something, and it's a line of conversation that oftentimes comes up in the immersive world for sure. Um, and I think it's really interesting that there's a degree to which, say, um, oh, I can't remember whether it was Austin uh, Anderson or Ian McNeely from Broken Ghost that was kind of talking about the similarities that he sees um, in or between immersive experience and kind of religious experience insofar as dynamic proximity with other people, ritual, and in a lot of ways kind of the origin of immersive experience and immersive entertainment comes from the world of religion in Europe. If my history is right there. Um, like, what do you think of the dynamic that like, okay, so you have religion is this kind of ritualistic shared experience, almost immersive experience, honestly, um, that was originally kind of thought of as a public utility but then you come around and then you have kind of this resurgence of immersive experience outside of a religious context, um, then suddenly kind of creating very similar dynamics in that. Mm -hmm. uh, my thought on that is um, I think that we miss certain qualities that we used to put in religious uh, experiences and that we haven't um, – and we haven't found a way to present them again in a new context. And there are things about like, for example, the Christian religion. And um, I've been able to observe the Christian religion very closely because um, one of my day jobs for the last 10 years is playing music in church services as a, uh, as a non-believer. And, um, and I think there are certain aspects of Christianity that a lot of our generation just can't, uh, 
can't swallow, like that Jesus was born of a virgin or that we have to believe that he died for our sins in order to go to heaven after we die. And uh, these things just make us push the entire experience of church and religion away and makes us push baptism and confession and communion away uh, and makes us push wedding in churches away and things like that. And, um, I'll, and I relate very strongly to um, pushing away the Jesus myth or the Jesus fairy tale. But um, I, I'm trying to uh, bring back some of those other things that I think we uh, can uh, have a very pleasurable and meaningful experience with. Definitely, definitely. Um, and I, I apologize. I definitely was not intending to um, jump into something so meta right off the bat there. But uh, your comment about the ritualistic portion of immersive experience just kind of sparked curiosity in that. Yeah. Um, I mean, bottom of the ocean, it's definitely a, a good like third or half of it is my me taking a crack at my spin on a church service after, you know, sitting on the side for 10 years and this being one of my day jobs and sort of thinking of how I would do it. Bottom of the ocean is kind of, it's, it's an outlet for those thoughts and feelings. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Um, because outside of the religious context, there is definitely a certain, there, there's a lot inside of religious ritual between community and just the ritual itself that is, is something that I feel like can be quite constructive in many different contexts for people. Yeah. Um, so before diving down uh, that side street too far, even though I'm very, very uh, willing to come back to it, um, mm -hmm. I wanted to potentially shift gears briefly because I'm just kind of curious about your path in general. Um, mm -hmm. So like me, you're from Michigan originally. So I was curious if you could just kind of like catch me up. Like, how'd you find your way to New York? Uh, as I was spending my final years in Michigan when I was 19, 20, 21, um, I guess in my earlier teenage years, I was super interested in um, just being social and exploring my community and exploring the local sort of mall punk music scene. I was really into that for a while. Okay, and, okay. Um, and I guess I sort of like, I felt like I used, that scene up in a certain way. And, um, I was trying to like make my way in the garage rock music scene that was around in the early two thousands and not really getting my foot in the door. And meanwhile, I was also getting curious about just the rest of the world. Um, having sort of fixated on Detroit for seven years. And I started hearing about, you know, cities like New York and LA. And although I'd been to them on family vacations, I started thinking about the possibility of experiencing them as an adult uh, and like forging my own way and choosing like who, who I wanted to hang around in those cities. And, um, and so after I graduated the university of Michigan, um, I went on a uh, two month Greyhound. I bought a two month ticket on the Greyhound for $480. And, uh, and I took a clockwise tour around um, the United States and New York was my favorite. So I moved there in January, 2004. Very cool. Very, very cool. And, uh, you know, started um, jumping on those artistic opportunities that I felt like were very limited in Detroit. Yeah, definitely. So how did like said 
artistic opportunities that weren't necessarily as available um, in the Detroit area turn into um, you starting to create immersive work? Uh, for, I guess, the first 10 years of my New York existence, I pursued being in bands. And, um, and the wonderful thing that I found about New York is that you have dozens and dozens and dozens of chances to get your foot in the door. So if one club doesn't like you, if one booker doesn't like you, you just go down the next block and there's another place to like get it right. And, um, and so I did that and, and I, I found a similar, um, opportunity in immersive theater. Uh, but anyways, after 10 years of, of high highs and low lows of being a musician and a touring musician, uh, in a bunch of bands, uh, I was in one of those low lows, frustrated, wasn't sure if I wanted to tour anymore, wasn't sure if I wanted to like play concerts and bars and clubs and festivals. I was just um, tired of the, that dynamic of the band and the stage and the audience um, in, in front of them. And, um, and I was living in um, the Flatbush Reformed Church Parsonage, um, and we were slowly getting evicted. And so there was just three of us in this mansion from the 1860s, a 25 room mansion. And so during, um, those final five months, um, I ended up seeing sleep no more in August. And by September, I started thinking of my house in that way. And I decided to, on a whim, just stage, um, this performance art house, uh, that became Houseworld. Oh, that is really, really cool. I love that. That was just kind of a spontaneous byproduct of looking around and being like, all right, so there's this thing that, you know, starting where I am, I have this at my disposal. Let's create something. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's really, really cool. And then, so from there you went directly to Whisper Lodge? Uh, I spent the next, I think, let's see, September was the idea for Houseworld. And we took that until the following November, so 14 months. And, uh, during the final month of Houseworld, the public run that most of the people who saw it, um, they came to that, um, the cast started bringing up ASMR to me and they started saying, you should make, you should integrate ASMR into Houseworld. That would be exciting. And meanwhile, other audience members were pointing out things that were already in Houseworld and they were saying that they thought they were, if they thought they were intended as ASMR experiences. And, um, so Whisper Lodge, it came from this funny place of strength. I was feeling pretty strong and capable after Houseworld just, um, flourished in so short of a time. It, it, it went from me not creating in that genre to me, like, being reviewed by the lead theater critic of the New York times. So, right, um, right, yeah. So, um, I was just feeling capable and I heard about ASMR. I looked up all these videos, um, and saw that there were countless videos getting millions of hits. And then I tried to type in like live ASMR, ASMR show, ASMR performance, in-person ASMR, New York city. I tried Googling all these things and I found nothing. So I just thought, okay, I feel like I've got the hang of this form. I'm going to do it. And that's, and I ended up doing Whisper Lodge for the next two years. So longer than Houseworld. Um, and I did it as somebody who just heard about ASMR the month before I 
got that idea. So I, I went in as sort of a newbie and just became very invested in this subculture. And, um, and that's, that's how it led to Whisper Lodge. Very, very cool. Um, and if I am remembering correctly, like picking up from the story that uh, Melinda was relaying on, uh, or in episode 19, actually, um, she, at some point in time, she had come to see Houseworld and then you guys started kind of collaborating from there because of mutual interest in ASMR and immersive overall. Yeah, uh, there was a performer, Alexandra, who played Charles, the best friend of Houseworld, or the, the, the best friend was, was the role of Charles. And um, Alexandra connected us um, knowing that we were both interested in ASMR and immersive theater. And we sat down for coffee and we decided let's go to the thrift store, let's get a bunch of ASMR objects and let's uh, like cook up a workshop of a show. That is very, very incredible. Just like the path of kind of all these things coming together in different ways. Um, so Whisper Lodge then kind of took you on a bit of a whirlwind adventure because if I'm understanding correctly, you guys have performed Whisper Lodge like all over the country. We've done it in San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York. And um, since I kind of began my leave of absence, I'm still sort of like on the board of Whisper Lodge. I hear about the bigger decisions, but I'm not, act I haven't been actively running it since January of 2018. It's been Melinda. And yeah, we've, we've done it, I guess, in all four corners of the United States. And, um, and it's got a future, like we're, we're laying some groundwork where, I think it's going to spread to a lot more people over the next year and we're going to get, I believe we're going to get a good crack at making a, a permanent whisper lodge destination that might happen in, in a year. Oh, very, very cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and I think that there are definitely uh, quite a few folks who will be excited about that as well. Um, having the, having the chance to, experience uh the whisper lodge world that you guys have both created yeah i i really think in a in a high traffic tourist city like new york i think that if we were able to have a whisper lodge storefront where you know foot traffic were, was able to walk by and see like oh there's whisper lodge there's the asmr place i do believe that in time we could cultivate enough um people coming through to to sustain it but it takes a big investment in the beginning and uh, we have an idea of where that investment might come from. Very cool. Very, very cool. So as a potential solid, almost midpoint um, for this particular conversation, mm -hmm. would you be down shift gears once again and jump into make it immersive? Let's shift it. Hello. Hello. You lovely immersive adventurers. This is another two-part episode, and just briefly before you go, we'll pick up next time with the Make It Immersive segment, playing with the idea of turning time travel into an immersive experience. We follow that up with a particularly candid discussion of how to deal with unexpected audience reactions in immersive shows. Until then, I wanted to ask, how are you feeling about these two-part episodes? I seriously appreciate everyone who has taken the time to give us feedback on the show. And as always, you can direct message us on Instagram or drop us a line on ImmersionNation.com. 
I hope your spooky season concluded in the finest of forms. And of course, until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>